Obviously, I'm not as tall as a pastor is, so I think I might need a step stool. Do you have one around here so I can reach the microphone? <laughs> That's right. I don't know if it comes down far enough. This is a little tall. <clears throat> as you got to see in our video, uh, the country of Japan is a very needy country. Uh, obviously, it's no different than what we would see here. Uh, I was actually getting to, to talk to pastor a little bit about kind of the area where I come from. Even though it's in the Bible Belt, uh, there's a lot of confusion in the area. Uh, many uh, churches have folded and closed up shop, closed up doors, are no longer churches any longer. Uh, Baptist churches are no longer Baptist churches. Uh, the, in, in fact, one of the largest cities around my area is Charlotte, North Carolina, going through a lot of turmoil. And uh, just even being able to drive across the city, you can see different shrines and temples set out to to Buddha and, and shrine shops where you can go and purchase anything made by man's hands uh, at these places. You can find the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and they're massive churches, yet you can't find hardly a church that wants to stand up and preach the word. This country is no different than Japan. But what's different here in America is that we have the great opportunity to have access to the gospel. As you got to see in our video, Part of the greatest need about Japan is simply that they have no access whatsoever to the gospel. One of the pictures even tells you in it that it's the second largest unreached people group in the entire world. The second largest group. Basically, that means that these are people that have no access whatsoever to the gospel, have never heard about a Bible, have never heard about Jesus Christ, have never even heard of the saving gospel that we get to so freely partake of here in this country. Would you please pray? that God would call more people to go to Japan. But I'd like to share with you a, a very staggering statistic that uh, I just can't seem to get off my mind. <clears throat> Since my wife and I and family got to start deputation back in October of last year, 2016, there are roughly 510,400 souls in Japan that have stepped off into a Christless eternity, many of which have had no access whatsoever to the gospel. Let me say that one more time. 510,400 souls that have died and gone to a Christless hell. It's a large number. Let me bring that a little closer to home here in Pampa. According to the statistics given last year, there's roughly 17,994 people residing within the city limits of Pampa, Texas. 17,994. That equates out to roughly 28 times over the city of Pampa has died since we started. Just started deputation in Japan. That's a very large number. Obviously, there's no way in the world it's completely impossible for us to be able to reach all of them. But we can reach at least one. Would you also please prayerfully consider and join in prayer with us that we'll be able to get the support that we need to be able to get to the field. My family and I have such a great burden and a desire to be there and to be able to at least reach one. It's a very hard work. It's a very slow work. But we know that God has called us and we know that God's going to keep us there by His call. And so we pray that you would please consider praying for us, taking us on for support as well. We greatly appreciate that. But this evening I'd like to bring you a, a short sermon. Uh, you can find it in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. If you're willing and able, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this evening. Matthew chapter number 5. We're going to be focusing uh, specifically on verses 13 through 16. So a real short passage and we'll dive right into it. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 13. Reads for us, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. 
Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You may be seated. We'll begin in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to be here. Lord, I thank you for Brother Kyle and him allowing us to be able to come and to be able to present. We thank you also for Grace Baptist, Lord, that is, has been so gracious to our family and has just taken us under their wing and treat us like family, Lord. And I can honestly say that it feels good to be at home here at Grace Baptist, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to be with the church, especially in the home going of this precious saint, Lord. And uh, we just ask that you would now help us to be able to focus upon the Word of God this evening and that you would help us to be obedient to whatever you would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The weather is a little bit drier here, so um, hopefully I'll be able to get through this. Uh, I thank you for whoever got the water as well. But I'd like to go ahead and start with a, a, an, an interesting launching pad, if you can put it that way. I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever heard, <clears throat> maybe either on the radio or maybe seen something on your computer or gotten it in your email or uh, maybe uh, seen it even on TV, an, an infomercial that has pitched a certain product? And you were like, wow, that really sounds good until you think about it. Wait, it's an infomercial, so obviously it can't be really all that true, right? But, I mean, have we, can we all agree that there has been at least at some point in time something has, that has been presented, whether it be on TV or radio or whatever, that you're like, wow, that is a great product. I have got to buy this. They didn't win. This is not it. But I wanted to let you think that at least it was, but... Anyways, so I got to come across, as I was actually reading through uh, my devotions and I was studying in this passage, uh, many times as preachers, it, 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 uh, it's very uh, relaxing, I guess you can say, when you're diving into the Word of God and you're studying it, to kind of take a break from it for a little bit and kind of just walk away, come back to it a little bit later and get right back into it again. It's a good time to take a break and just kind of mull over the passage and what's going on with it. And so one evening, uh, my wife and I, as we were traveling... Just randomly thought, hey, I wonder what's on the news. Turn it on, and I'm flipping through, and I come across this guy that's like screaming and hollering on TV, and I was like, okay, what's he talking about now? Whatever. So he's like, if I can, if I can do this without losing my voice tonight, he was, let me use this as the illustration with it. But he goes, this is the best flashlight you will ever find in your life. And I was like, okay, great, whatever. This is another infomercial. Here we go. I'm about to change the channel. And he was like, this flashlight is completely indestructible. And he's like, you can take it and you can smash it with the hammer. And he like puts it on the ground. He takes a sledgehammer to it and just, and it's still shining. I was like, wow, I'm pretty impressed. Cause I love mine, you know, like from Walmart, it, that ain't going to cut it. I can drop it on the floor and it's going to fall in pieces. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of interested now where this guy's going to go. And he's like, you can even take it and you can freeze it. And he throws it in a bucket of water. And a little bit later, he pulls it out. You know, obviously, they're not going to show you all, like, however long it took, two days or three days to fully freeze. Well, everybody pulls out this block of ice out of this freezer, and he bangs on it, and it falls out. The light is still shining in the ice block. I was like, all right, that's impressive. I'm just about sold. Like, where's the number at, right? I'm ready to call this guy, and let's get, let's get it going. Let's get it shipped to the house, right? And then he's like, and you, you can even throw it out of a helicopter. I'm like, who, who even does this? This guy. And he throws it, and it's like... And you see it flipping down out of the air, and there's a guy standing down at the bottom, you know, and he's shining his camera up, and you're watching it fall, and, and it hits the ground, and this guy runs over, and he grabs it, and he's like, 
still shining. I was like, all right, this is pretty awesome. I mean, this guy like really believes in his product. I mean, he's really putting it through the test. I was like, this is an impressive flashlight. Uh, see, because when we first started traveling, my wife and I had a really terrible vehicle. I mean, I loved it to death, but it couldn't be said that my wife did. Uh, we ended up having to have the transmission rebuilt three times. I had lots of flashlights because there was no telling what was going to break and where it was going to break on our van. So I had to have flashlights everywhere so I could just, you know, great. Something in the back end is going on, whatever. I'll just walk back there and just grab a flashlight from back there. I always knew it was going to be there because I put it there. You just never know, right? So I had a bunch of flashlights. I'm a big flashlight junkie, whatever. And so I was like, man, this guy is like great going on. I mean, this would be a great addition to my, my list, right? And, and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like, where's the number or where's the website? How can I get one of these things? And I mean, he's going through this great sale. And I was like, wow, that's a really good flashlight. I can really use that. And then God was like, wait a minute. Let's think about how this could possibly pertain to what you're studying on. I was like, mm, that's pretty good. This guy's talking about, you know, how many thousands of lumens and how great and bright of a flashlight it is. And I was like, I'm almost sold. And then he was like, oh, but wait, the offer gets better. Call now in the next two minutes and we'll give. Cha-ching, and he throws up a second one. Two for one simple payment of $19.99. I was like, done. I am totally calling like right now. Pull my phone out and I'm like, oh, I'm not calling. I have no signal. All right, God, I got your point. I don't need it. All right, that's fine, whatever. But I was thinking, this is a great flashlight, right? And this is actually from a friend of mine at, at Bible College that gave it to me. And this is a pretty indestructible. It's been out the car window at 60 miles an hour just because. I was like, well, hey, if this guy can smash it with a hammer, I'm going to try it. I mean, this one's made in China, and it's about a third the price. And I was like, why not? I mean, I think it's a pretty good one. Let's test it out. So out the window it went. Uh, it's been for swim and a whole bunch of other stuff, and it, it still works, kind of. And it zooms, and it does a bunch of other really neato things here. And I was like, yeah, this is a great flashlight. But let's, let's think about how that in our passage it talks about being the light of the world, right? We're going to get back to this little flashlight, this guy over here, a little bit later in the passage. But I'd like to bring that to your attention first off, because I want you to be thinking about how great this flashlight is, and how bright this flashlight is, and how wonderful it is, and how much it would be a great addition to any guy's toolbox that's in here, right? That's a pretty good one as well. I uh, bought it on eBay, all right? So it's a good one. But this evening, as we think about specifically the light and how that is supposed to work, I find a very similar relation to this in our passage. See, before, as we get to exactly what, what Jesus Christ is going to be teaching us, in the book of Matthew, chapter number 5, we know that to be the beginning of what he would call the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So I'm sure that probably most of us have heard about it. At the very beginning of our chapter, in chapter number 5, he goes through what he calls the Beatitudes. And this thing's kind of like in my way, so I'm like having to look around it, right? But well, he finds, and he tells us about the, what he calls the Beatitudes. That would be where he would say, blessed is this person, and he would say, and he would describe that person, and then he would give a promise to that. So he would say, blessed is this person. Well, why? Well, because then, and he would say the promise that he would give to that person that would be blessed. And then as we get into our, our passage, uh, here specifically in verses number 13 through 16, uh, many commentators would call this passage, and these separate verses here, they would call them the similitudes, if I pronounce that right, I think I did, the similitudes, all right? So in the south where I'm from, we don't use big words like that. That's just too complicated. But that basically is where he is making a similarity for us and comparing us as Christians to something. Okay, so we understand that. We get there. So at the very beginning, he says, first off, in verse number 13, he calls us and he says specifically, gives us the command and says, God has called us to be the salt of the earth. Right there at the very beginning, the first line of verse number 13 would say, ye are the salt of the earth. Now I'm thinking to myself, 
I don't want to be called salt. You know, salt, it kind of has a weird texture to it, and, you know, it can really make your food do all kind of weird stuff. And, I mean, I think about, like, my dad, he grew up as a Boy Scout, so he used salt for, you know, like, different things. Like, if you get a cut or a rash, he'd use it, and, you know, iodine and things and such. And I'm like, salt? What does that have to do with anything? So I started doing some research on it, and I found out that there's actually three major uh, versions of salt that would have been used in our passage here that would be discussed during this time uh, in history. As we know that they were big in, in agriculture and things of such, if a, if a hunter was to go out and he was to go and, and would, would kill his prey and he would bring it back, obviously GE for refrigerators and Samsung and all the other multiple refrigerators didn't, exa- didn't exist back then, right? So they had to do something to preserve their meat. Well, this is where salt would come into play. They would have a salt that would be used to preserve the meat. Or, if it was something that would be eaten later that day and it didn't need to be preserved, they would use it for seasoning, right? I mean, you think if you go to, like, Walmart, right? I was just down at the Walmart down here, almost going out of town because I was lost, right? Okay, I'll admit it. A man getting lost. I almost had to ask for directions, but Google was there to save it, right? This guy doesn't have to ask. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, all right, so let's go look at the salts, right? I mean, they have, like, pink Himalayan. They've got, you know, Cajun and all these other different types of salts. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is pretty intense, right? I mean, there's, we even have a lot of that in today's world, right? But we use salts for seasoning and for preservation. We also use it for things like cleansing, like a cleansing agent things of such, and I was like, wow, okay, so that pretty much pertains exactly to what we're dealing with here, because this is exactly what it is. It was a very important commodity to this day and age in which we're dealing with in in the history of this passage. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, so now that I get an understanding why he calls us salt, let's see exactly what it would do here in this passage. And it says, but if the salt has or have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Alright, so you have all those salts for seasoning and preservation and things of such as that. But then you would also find that in the temple, obviously, you know, uh, Timberland boots didn't exist, right? I mean, so when it rained and it got really muddy, you could just walk in there with your Tims on and expect to go right down to the temple and, and do your worship and things of such. You know, couldn't wear cowboy boots. Those didn't exist either, right? They just had sandals or most of the time they'd go barefooted. So if you think about it, when you get ice around, you normally would use a, a salt that would be, you would put down to, you know, defrosty ice and things of such, it would also give you traction. So that's exactly what Jesus Christ is, is comparing the person that is not being sought. He's basically saying that you're worthless. You're good for nothing because you're not serving the purpose. And obviously salt, it can't lose its saltiness. So even if you were to take salt, you know, that's been on the shelf and is, is past the expiration, it still is going to salt. It's still going to make your food taste a little bit better possibly. You know, you think about green beans are only good when they're brown. You know, when you get all the goodness out, you know, you fry them up, make them good, right? I mean, that's how we do them in the South, put some bacon in there, some other stuff, right? Amen. But uh, you think about how that with, with vegetables, most of the time, what do people do? You get them on their plate, and the first thing they grab, bam, salt. Maybe it's pepper, right? And they just load it up, just, right, just getting after it. Well, you think about how that even if it's old salt, you know, like if you go to, for instance, McDonald's, right? Their salt, who knows how many years it's been sitting on the, same, in, on the table. And, you know, you kind of put a little bit on your fries, and you're like, ah. That's not good. Go to the table beside you. I'm going to grab this one over here. Let me try this one instead. Right? It might not taste as good, but it still seasons it, right? So here he's saying that Jesus Christ is saying that salt can't lose its saltiness because then it would mean that its chemical compound would have to change. But it can lose its property of being able to preserve or its property to be able to season. And so he's saying here that if it, salt was to lose its savor, it's then good for, for nothing but to be thrown out and to be basically as rock salt, right? We throw it out and melt the ice away or use it for traction. 
And I was thinking to myself, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty intense way to compare a Christian's life is to say, you're good for nothing if you're not doing what I expected you to do. What I called you to do and to be is salt. And in a gentleman's commentary, one commentator would simply say, and specifically dealing with, with salt, he would say that it was used to help preserve, and as we as Christians, again we're using the similitude here, would say that we are to preserve the world from, from putrefaction and from destruction. But if we fail to do so, then Jesus Christ would draw a similitude to salt that is simply good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be kicked, right? I used to play soccer. When you fall, it's not fun to be kicked. It's not even fun to be walked on. Been there, done that, right? So let's think about it. Would you like to be done that way? I mean, God says if you're not doing what salt's supposed to do, you're good for nothing, and you're basically just to be thrown out, you're wasted, and to be walked on. I mean, it's, it's worthless. Uh, that's pretty intense. I mean, I wouldn't want to be that way, that's for sure. But then he goes one step further into verse number 14. And he says, specifically, as Christians are not only supposed to function as salt, but are also to shine bright for the glory of the gospel. And that's where we find him here in verses number 14 and 15, where it says that God has called us to be the light of the world. So he first calls us to be the salt of the earth, but then he tells us that we're supposed to be the light of the world in verses 14 and 15. And he, and he draws that similitude, and he says, right after he tells us that we are the light of the world, then he would say, you are like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Well, what exactly does that have to do with light, right? I mean, a city that is set on a hill, we don't really understand that here because, I mean, in today, we basically just build a city anywhere we want. I mean, I think of even like Seattle. It's like here on the side of a mountain hanging off the edge into the water, right? I mean, that's pretty much how, how it is. There's other cities that are that way. You think about even back in history, ones that were literally carved into the side of mountains. You think about even like here at Pampa. I mean, it's like... Psh- and lots of fire on either side, right, going on right now. But, I mean, and there's the city. It's like right there. But if you think about it, the reason why he would compare us as light and then tell us that we're like a city that is set on a hill, he would use that because during this day and time, many of the larger cities would be built up on a pinnacle or would be built on the hillside or on top of a mountain. And the purpose for this would be as a wayfaring stranger or as a a person that would go around you know visiting one city to another city to another city maybe a merchant or a traveler if for instance the daylight would start to fail would start to dissipate it would be easy for them to be able to go well i'm here based off of my map and my coordinations or my coordinates here that i can see on my map and as they would look around they would be able to see on a far off distance a city and if you think about it uh, obviously, I went to school at Heartland Baptist Bible College, and it is a massive city, right, compared, obviously, to, to Pampa. Uh, some 599,000 people or something crazy like that in Oklahoma City right now. But you think about it, as you're coming in, as you're coming into Oklahoma City, if any of you have been there, or I even think about, like, Dallas. I've been to Dallas as well, been to Houston, and a couple of the other bigger cities here in Texas. If you come into it or you go out of it at night, right, you can look back in the rearview mirror if you're going out or as you're coming in, and you can see almost this, like, ball of light around the city, right? It's just glowing. Well, this is exactly what he's saying here. He tells us that we're the light of the world, and he says that we're like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Another commentator in his, comment, uh, on, in his commentary on this passage would say that as Jesus Christ is portraying this to his disciples, I mean, I can picture them sitting on, sitting on the ground, you know, around Jesus Christ as he's teaching them and he's instructing them, and he's, and he's telling them, I can just think of like Peter. What on earth does 
a city have to do with us? I mean, come on, Jesus. Like, where are we going with this? I'm confused, right? And I can sit there and just... What? I can think of Thomas, right? I'm really confused right now. I have no earthly idea what's going on. Hey, James, you know what he's saying? Right? But I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to put it, put it in their perspective, right? And, and one commentator would say that perhaps Jesus Christ, as he's giving this similitude, he would maybe look off in the distance and be able to see Jerusalem off on the distance. And he would say, you're supposed to be like Jerusalem. That from anywhere around the city of Jerusalem, because it was built on a higher level, that anybody around the area could see Jerusalem. That what goes on in Jerusalem, whether it be day or night, will be able to see it. And his commentator would go and he would expound upon it a little bit further and to say that as Jesus Christ is comparing us to the light of the world, and he would say that, he would simply say, we as Christians should be exactly the same. Because once we get, once we get saved, people tend to put us as Christians up on a pedestal. And they look at us. And he would say that in that, as a Christian would be put up on that pedestal like a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, nor can our actions the things that we say, the things that we do, the, thing, the lifestyle that we live in front of other people cannot be hid. I was like, wow, that is so true. And then he goes into verse number 15. It tells us that it would basically make, I'm going to summarize it really quickly, but it would basically make no sense for a person to light a candle and immediately put it under a bushel, right? You think about the children's song that talks about, you know, this little light of mine, right? And you talk about later on about putting it under a bushel. No, absolutely, right? Well, what exactly would a bushel be? It would be like one of the things you put a candle out with or a box for measuring you would put that out. It would make no sense for a person to do that with their light. But it says, but as a light to be put on a candlestick that would light up the house. And that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that as the light of the world, you're supposed to light up the world. You're supposed to act like the light would be in a house. You're supposed to illumine other people to the truth of the gospel. And then in verse number 16, he very quickly just draws us into the final point of, of the, really the central idea that he's trying to get across to his, his disciples here in verse number 16. First and foremost, he tells us in verse 13 that ye are the salt of the earth. Then in 14, he tells us, you are the light of the world. Well, what exactly is the purpose of that light of the world? He tells us here in verse number 16, he says, let your light so shine before men. Well, what exactly would that mean? That God simply expects that our light would so shine before men for a simple purpose, a simple reason. And we get that reason at the end of verse number 16 where it says that they, being the people that don't know about the gospel, that they may see your good works and would ultimately, they would glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what he's trying to say to us is simply that we're supposed to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think back of John in, in chapter number 3 where it talks about after salvation. You know, we, we know in verse number 16, I mean, it's like the ultimate verse of Christianity. Talking about the love of Jesus Christ for us. But in verse number 19 in the same chapter, it would say, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. But then I think about how the Apostle Paul would later on, he would write to the, to the Ephesian church after he had corrected some of the, the, the issues there in the church in verses number 8. I mean, verse number 8 of chapter number 5 would say, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Why? Why is he giving us that command? The Apostle Paul giving us the same command. Because if we're not shining bright, then people will never see the gospel. I think about Japan specifically in our presentation. It's a very dark country. No, almost no access whatsoever. Basically, almost 98% lost. That's a really dark country. Really dark country. And it needs the light of the gospel. But if people aren't shining bright here, there's no way it's going to get there. Obviously, 
without God's intervention. And we know that ultimately is, is the main point. But I'd like to bring you back to the flashlight. Remember, I told you we're going to get back to the flashlight, right? So, I brought the ultimate, right? The big kahuna or whatever you want to call it, okay? So, I'm going to quickly try to tie this up, all right? So, we're going to really get, I mean, we're just going to get right after it. So, thinking about this flashlight, right? Again, broke down van, right? It gets annoying when you have to crawl up underneath of it. You got it up on a jack. You know, they call it the widow maker for a reason. So, I'm like terrified already under it. What is going on with my van again? And... Got a flashlight. Well, obviously, when you see something broken, it's very easy to use two hands. You want to use both hands, right, to just get after it and get the job done. So where does the flashlight go? Poop in the mouth. Many times my wife would be like, uh, honey, what's going on? Right? You know, you got the flashlight hand in your mouth, right? You can't really answer. So one of my friends in the ministry decided he was going to bless me with this wonderful light, okay? So let me break this down to you, all right? So we quickly did this one. This thing even has a tripod. I mean, come on. Is this not like the greatest invention since chicken on a stick or like sliced bread? I mean, I love bread, especially when you put, you know, lots of goodness in there. So it has a tripod, right? It also, not only does it have a tripod, but you can also flex the heads. You can bend them around. You can make them point all different directions. So forget having a flashlight in your mouth. I mean, you can just stick it on the ground and point it where you got to go, and then you can still have one up facing the bottom of the vehicle so it lights up everything around you. Wonderful. I'm telling you guys, if you don't have one, this is made by Stanley. You can buy it at Sears and Roebuck. I mean, or I mean, just Sears. Who does Roebuck anymore? Anyways, Sears. So anyways, thinking about this light, and I was like, dude, this light is great. I mean, this is just amazing. I mean, it really does like everything. It even You can even take it out. And you can do like one individual flashlight, or you can lock them all together and make all three of them light up. I don't want to shine. Great. Now it's not going to work. All right, there we go. Right? So we have three different lights that are all functioning as one. And I got to thinking about being a light. Okay? So let's think about how that the home church is in relationship to the missionary, right? So, like I said, we're going to quickly summarize this. We're going to break it down really quickly. So in our illustration here, we have a flashlight that is made up of three different flashlights with a base. I'd like to use the base that is the tripod part as the church, okay? So the church would basically be made up in between God, ultimately, and God's plan for salvation and, and the way that the church is supposed to be structured. We also have a pastor, right, that would lead the church and would function as, as the good shepherd or the shepherd of the, of the sheep. And then we have us, right, as the body of believers that make up the actual church body, all right? So let's go ahead and bring it in. We'll just make this real quick, this application going on. First and foremost, we have God and his ultimate plan for world missions. How is that going to be accomplished? By grace are you saved through faith, okay? How else? The Great Commission. That is God's plan to get the gospel around the world. We're supposed to go. We have a wonderful pastor. I've known Brother Kyle for a couple years, and I can tell you my life is not the same. All right, But Brother Kyle stands up behind the pulpit every single service, and he preaches the word of God faithfully. Regardless of whatever the consequence may be, he stands up and he preaches the word of God. He lives a great testimony. Even when he comes to campus at Heartland, he comes and he does the exact same thing there. No different. He comes and he preaches the Word of God and he relays the Word of God to us in a way that we can apply it to our lives, right? So we don't have to worry about this being a weak link, right? Nor do we have to worry about God being a weak link in, in, our, in our illustration here. Then we think about the local body of believers, okay? So, one in of itself, one flashlight, as we can see the small little light on the roof, right? Only makes a certain amount of light there and it only does a little bit to the darkness. But, when you think about it, we bring it all together as the church functions as it should. The light, well, you can't see it really there, but the light, it does a lot more damage. The reason for that is because it's all working together. Now, in this flashlight, if batteries start to go bad in one of them, then what it does is it brings the light down in all of them. 
brings it all down because it functions together that way. So we ultimately know that God's plan is never going to fail. We already know that because it can't fail, because God can't fail, right? So if we're supporting pastor, praying for pastor, being a good example to others in the church, pastor will be continue to be lifted up, will be given the messages to preach and teach to us every single service that we can continue to learn and feed and grow on it. So ultimately, the local body of believers will go out and do the exact same thing as the Great Commission says, that we're supposed to go, right? But then we put it in perspective with the little flashlight over here being, say for instance, the missionary, right? The missionary can only shine bright when the missionary is given juice, right? When he has good connection with the local churches that support him, right? So if we think about the local church, if the local church fails to go out and gospel tell, ultimately that affects the missionary on the field. If the home church stops praying, the batteries get weak, the missionary on the field starts to suffer. If the, if the pastor walks away from the church, goes somewhere else and falls off into sin or something, the missionary fails. Because we can't do the job that we're supposed to do without the local church. So what I'm getting at here specifically, and I feel that Jesus Christ is doing the same thing. Like I said, we're going to quickly pull it together. Jesus Christ simply stresses to, the, to his disciples the beginning of the church here. And he tells them, ye are the light of the world. Because ultimately he knows later on as we get to the end of the book of Matthew, we find the great commission that he gives to the local body of believers. The, the New Testament church that he establishes there. He says, go. But how can that happen if they're not going? How can that happen if they're not being salt? How can that happen if they're not being like a city set on a hill that can't be hit? How can that happen if they're not shining bright? How can people way over here, wherever the missionary may go, how can that happen for them if they're not being supported by the local church, right? So what he's saying specifically as we're drawing it together in this flashlight illustration is that ultimately all people everywhere need to hear the gospel. But it has to start here. It has to start here in this church. Because again, we can't do the job without the church supporting us as well. So how does that simply apply to us today? Simply go. God gives the same command to everybody. He doesn't say necessarily specifically go to every different part of the world, but we can go to people here today. Just driving across the city of Pampa, again, getting lost, got to see lots of people. Lots of people. How many of those are unreached just here in Pampa? How much can we do here just in Pampa to touch the hearts and lives and souls of people here that need the gospel in this city? Because the light over there can't shine bright if the light here is not shining bright. Because the light always shines brightest where it starts. And I'd like to leave you with that challenge. Simply let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because that's God's plan to get the gospel around the world. That we're supposed to shine bright so other people can see our good works and ultimately glorify our Father which is in heaven. Let's end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you again for the opportunity to be able to be here and to be able to present the sermon, Lord. We pray that it would be uh, a blessing to those that were here. We just ask, Lord, that you would continue to do a work here at Pampa and continue to use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.